Hello and welcome to the Coffee Unleashed podcast. My name is Alec. I am your host um, and we are excited today to be chatting with one of our good friends, uh, Rich from Genuine Origin. Um, As you know, if you've been following the podcast, we talk about uh, coffee business and everything in between. Um, So we are really excited to have you on board listening and We hope that if you haven't already, that you go back and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform, whether that be Apple, uh, Google Play, or uh, Spotify. Uh, We load up new episodes every week, and uh, we are excited to provide you guys with some really great content and get everything rolling uh, at a high level. Um, 2019 is a big year for us on the podcasting end, so make sure and uh, stay tuned as we'll be uh, launching a lot of new things uh, on this platform. So thanks again for your support. I'm really excited to have you here. Again, if you have any questions for us uh, and maybe more specific topics you'd like to hear about, uh, you can email us at hello at IndieCoffeeRoasters.com. That's the best platform for us to interact with you um, as far as questions being asked here as well as uh, potential future guests. Um, Go ahead and email us there. If you'd like to follow along with everything Indie Coffee Roasters, make sure and check out Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, We will interact as well as post new content there on the regular as well. So let's go ahead and get into things. Episode 27 of our podcast. Uh, As I said, we've got our good friend Rich uh, from Genuine Origin here. Uh, So Rich, uh, what type of or what coffee have you been enjoying lately? That's a great question because this time of year uh, is known as the big wait in the coffee industry. Um, this is when we're all waiting for fresh crops to come in. So we're sort mm-hmm. of, uh, I think a lot of coffee roasters are, are kind of going through a lot of their inventories, looking at what's going, what's coming in, cupping pre-ship samples. Um, two coffees I've been enjoying a lot lately is a coffee from Papua New Guinea called Kiam um, that came in uh, not too long ago. And it really is um, surprisingly delicious with some mm-hmm. interesting like green tea flavors, uh, nice bit of fruit in there and a lot of caramel, um, you know, like concentrated fruit sugars, caramelized sugars. It's a, it's kind of like a, a good morning coffee and just a mm-hmm. good daily, daily drinker. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And we, uh, we launched our KM about a month ago and it's been uh, from Genuine Origin. It's been rolling really well also. That's great. I'm also yeah. enjoying some coffees from Peru because we've got some uh, like Peru Chonta and Capili that are in that. Again, similar, just like super sweet. I think it's exciting. You know, we, we, we're looking forward to some of those really wild, bright and complex coffees from East Africa coming in mm-hmm. in the next few months. But right now, just kind of enjoying some of these really just approachable, super sweet coffees. Mm-hmm. So obviously, uh, Rich knows his coffee. Um, so for all of our viewers out there who uh, are listeners, I guess, who haven't uh, heard from you before, uh, give us a little bit of background into what you're doing now, and then we can dive into um, where you come from as far as the coffee industry. So I am currently working with Genuine Origin. I've uh, been here since the rollout of this project. Um we're a company, uh, we're a Volcafe company, and Volcafe is a 170-year-old coffee importer from Switzerland that's um, involved in or coffee origins all over the world. The Genuine Origin project, we really focus on coffees that are sourced through the Volcafe way, which is a farmer-direct um, 
uh, uh, I'm sorry, it's a <laughs> it's a it's a direct farmer support program that started by Vol Cafe about four or five years ago, and that's mm-hmm. our focus for the copies that we bring in and that we feature through Genuine Origin. Yeah, so um, you know we've we've chatted a little bit about. Um, as a company, we've talked about green coffee and why that's so important um, to um, to understand where it comes from. Obviously, education is very big for us at at Indie Coffee, um, you know. But uh, green coffee, at least, it feels like on that end of things, there is a disconnect between the consumer and you know maybe. Um, the farmer. So what, uh, what are you guys doing to help improve that as far as, uh, you know, genuine origin goes? Um, well, our focus is on helping to create profitable farms. Um, Mm. you know, there's farmers have been coffee farmers, um, and a lot of agriculture, a lot of farmers around the world gets stuck in a cycle of poverty. And Mm. I think we know about this history of coffee, and, you know, attempts to try to break the cycle of poverty through paradigms like uh, fair trade and direct trade. And part of what, you know, we're trying to do with Full Cafe Way is educate coffee farmers and work with them on everything from, you know, basic accounting principles of figuring mm-hmm. out and tracking your, your costs so you can make sure that when you sell your coffee, you're making a profit. Hmm. Um, or be aware if you're not making a profit, you know, you want to make sure that you're selling your coffee for more than it costs to produce it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a lot of just hardcore agronomy that they're offering to these producers around the world, everything from soil sampling to test fertility of soils to help hmm. figure out proper placement of, um, soil inputs like different kinds of fertilizer. Um, there's work with companion planting with different leguminous, uh, plants and mm-hmm. trees to help fix nitrogen in the soil so that you can use less fertilizer because fertilizer is expensive. Um, so the idea is to kind of be a more efficient farmer and a more efficient business person to bring down your costs, but also to really focus on productivity and quality because mm. productivity is going to increase, you know, pounds per acre that you can bring in and quality in- increases dollars or price per pound. Mm-hmm. So this combination of bringing down your costs, improving your uh, quality and your productivity, that should create more productive and more uh, profitable farms. That's that's the thought behind this uh, this program. Yeah, and I think for you know coming from the you know on the ground in here, I think it's really important to just share with. Uh, customers, and I know you guys do this really well, um, is just sharing with them that coffee is not just a liquid item or um, it's not just a, you know, it doesn't come to us brown and, you know, roasted and ready. Um, But uh, it's a a plant that's grown and then picked and processed and and all of that. I think that, you know, even in our customer base, and I'm sure uh, in a lot of others, um, you know, they don't have any idea where that comes from. And um, obviously, coffee being something that's heavily saturated and consumed, um, it, I, I guess, the resurgence of knowing where your product comes from is, is, feels like it's starting to be of importance to the consumer, where, you know, maybe. 
10 years ago or so, uh, it wasn't as important. Um, yeah. so, and you know, I think uh, too often too, coffee's really looked at it as a commodity, you know, mm. um, you always hear this, this fact about coffee's the second largest traded commodity behind oil, which may or may not be true. I've heard a lot about that, but, um, you know, coffee's, coffee's all about people and mm-hmm. a lot of people touch their hands touch the coffee. And that's something that always moves me when I talk about the supply chain and, and all the hands that touch the coffee before it gets to the final consumer. And, you know, I used to give this long impassioned speech when I used to train baristas about mm. all the hands that touch the coffee and mm-hmm. everybody's job. Nobody's actually adding quality to the coffee. Yep. Uh, we all like to think we are, you know, when I've been a barista, I've been involved in roasting, I've been involved in a lot of the supply chain of coffee. And it's a lot of people like to say, you know, I make the best coffee, but really our job as anybody who touches the coffee, our job is to maintain and preserve the quality that's inherent in that seed hmm. until we prepare it and hand it to the final consumer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I used to put this sort of heavy, trip on, <laughs> on baristas. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what, man, like so many people have worked to maintain the quality of this coffee and get it to, you know, get it out of the country in time, you know, harvest it only when it's ripe. And then through the whole process, sort out all the Quakers and all the defects and then mm-hmm. get it to the roaster on time. And then the roaster has to really pay attention so that they roast it well. And, you know, don't over roast it, don't under roast it. You really mm-hmm. want to bring out the flavors that are inherent in that seed. And then, you know, when you brew it, you want to use the right temperature and the right water mm-hmm. and the right brew method. And so you're the final hand that touches that coffee mm-hmm. and you have the responsibility to mm-hmm. preserve mm-hmm. that quality and hand it to the final customer. And if you don't mm-hmm. care, if you're just a little bit careless or distracted, mm-hmm. you can kind of erase all of that work. And it was always fun to have this long speech and I would be pretty dramatic about it. I can be dramatic yeah. sometimes and then have, you know, all these baristas with their big eyes looking at you and, you know, you'd say, so don't F up the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it is, it is really, um, it's a long supply chain. There's a lot of people involved in it and people do wonder why coffee's so expensive. And the truth is it should be more expensive because mm-hmm. everybody who touches the coffee, including me and you, we're part mm-hmm. of the supply chain. We mm-hmm. all are making a living getting this coffee from the farm to the mm-hmm. consumer. And we all want to make a living. Everybody from the picker, the farmer, the exporter, the importer, the people who run the cooperative, if there's a cooperative, um, people like me who work with roasters like you, we're, we're mm-hmm. all trying to make mm-hmm. a living on that coffee. So, you know, right now it's a, it's a really tough time for a lot of coffee farmers because the sea market is so low. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's, this is a good time for us all to be talking about the importance of paying fair prices. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, obviously that's been a big, uh, thing, uh, at least in the coffee industry recently where, um, that sea price is important, which, uh, for those of you listening that aren't familiar, sea price being, uh, the coffee market price that's set, uh, sort of the standard for, a baseline coffee cost. Um, believe at the time of this recording, it's under a dollar, if I'm not uh, yeah. mistaken. Yeah. Um, so what that does, obviously, uh, you know, that includes all coffees, uh, both uh, non-specialty grade, very low grade coffees, as well as, um, you know, the uh, more higher grade coffees. 
um, like we uh, and genuine source and things like that that we consider specialty. Uh, but obviously what that does is that baseline then drops uh, that specialty price as well or can um, as well as it can, you know, obviously that's uh, set by, you know, what people are willing to pay for coffee at this time. So it takes into account, you know, the political climate or uh, the world economy climate, things like that. Um, and I think that what's important, at least from what I was understanding, um, is, uh, and we've talked about this before, but how important it is for consumers to use their money like a tool and not, you know, use it just as a piece of paper, but really use that currency um, to enact change if they if they so choose. Um, meaning if, if they feel like coffee is important to them, then, you know, one, understand where it's coming from and two, uh, pay a fair price for what that, what you're enjoying, you know? And I think that, you know, people look at specialty cafes or, or uh, even specialty roasters and they assume that all we're trying to do is just, uh, make as much money as we can on our end. And, you know, almost on the greedy side and just sort of take that from the consumer. But, you know, for us, we look at it like what's the fair price for this coffee um, in order to make a living for everybody, um, including the farmer and the importers and, you know, the roaster and everything else. And that's, that's what we ask our consumers to do is, is uh, you know, we do our best to make it the best we can, but then, you know, pay us a fair price for that. And, and, you know, that may be uh, a little bit more money than maybe you're used to. And this is a, a good time to be talking about it because the, um, the international trade show for coffee, the, mm-hmm. uh, SCA specialty coffee association expo is happening in Boston, um, from the 12th through the 15th. And before that they are some, there's a gathering called the symposium, the Rico symposium regarding coffee and it's a really great uh, forum where a lot of experts come, and they're really going to be digging into this issue. And the, you know, there's a lot of stress on coffee farmers from the low sea market. There's also climate change stress. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of these issues are are presented and discussed by international experts uh, during the Rico Symposium, which happens before Expo. And I think is that's really great timing because then the people who go to symposium go to Expo, and everybody's buzzing with this information and talking mm-hmm. about what was presented. So I think in the next, over the next month, we're going to hear a lot more about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's really, obviously, specialty coffee, at least in our context, is is on the rise right now. We talk about uh, specialty cafes and what looks like specialty roasters is becoming a heavily saturated you know, market in the, in the U S. Um, and, uh, but I still, uh, think it's important for people to remember that even coffee culture in the United States is still fairly young, um, compared to the life of coffee being grown. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not out of, uh, reality that if we don't make a change that the, after, you know, the next couple generations, there may not be specialty grade farmers anymore, um, you know, because they're not able to pass that trade on to, um, their next of kin or, or anything like that. And then, uh, you know, the United States starts to 
starts to feel that as well. You know, that's one of the most shocking things that I've heard. And this is part of what um, the Volcafe Way is really trying to address. When I was um, in Kenya, so when the, the exactly what you're saying about the children of coffee farmers, a lot of them, and this is happening in America as well, mm-hmm. um, really all over the world. Kids are leaving the farm, going to cities, pursuing higher education, which is great for them. But you're looking at the future of things like coffee and you know, and I've heard in uh, Guatemala when I was studying coffee in Guatemala, the average age of coffee farmers forty six, and in Kenya, I was shocked to hear that the average age was sixty four, mm. um, which was shocking to me. And you know, it, you just end up looking at that and you say, "Is there going to be coffee in Kenya in a generation?" Uh-huh. Um, I was there last year, and I saw a lot of. There's a zone where coffee and tea are both farmed. Um, and I saw a number of coffee farms and, um, being replaced by tea. So Mm -hmm. a lot of producers, a lot of farmers, a lot of small producers as well, were looking at the coffee market and they were looking at tea. And one difference is with tea, you can continuously harvest the tea. So every week you can go and you can sell the tea you harvest, you get a little money with Mm -hmm. coffee. You spend the whole year tending to your plants, tending to your trees, fertilizing, pruning, and then depending on where the market is when it's time to sell, you you could have a good year or you could have a really bad year. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's looking at trends like that. It's that's that's a lot of what like World Coffee Research, WCR is addressing. Um, There's a lot of organizations out there right now that are looking into some of these long term threats to coffee supply. so uh, again, a lot of this will be discussed at symposium and SCA is a great place to really get a lot of more information about these topics. Yeah. And I would, I mean, uh, I don't, you know, fully understand, um, the reasoning behind it, but, um, obviously, you know, people look at, and I don't know if it's because of the low price point that is, you know, with the I guess the gap between specialty grade coffee and more uh, lower grade um, stuff. I mean, even in you know our community, you can get a cup of coffee for fifty cents, or all the way up to you know six, seven dollars in in some spots. So um, I imagine that that comes into play. But um, do you feel like that is what is somewhat misleading the consumer? Is you know, that large of a gap as well as, you know, I would argue lack of education or not education in general, but just lack of uh, education to why this is six, seven dollars versus why is this, you know, 50 cents? Yeah, I, I, I think you're onto something there. There's such there is such a wide discrepancy of prices um, that are available to consumers um, and you know, ultimately people have to, they have their own economy, their own family mm-hmm. economy that they have to keep, keep track of. Um, but you know, I think I hear a lot of great comparisons to wine and coffee as well. And if somebody's willing to spend $15 on a bottle of wine that mm-hmm. they'll consume in a day or two, what's wrong with $15 for a bag of coffee that's going to last them for a week. Exactly. Yeah. You know, um, so uh, so I think a lot of education definitely has to go into it. And, and honestly, too, 
the, the, the answer that I keep coming to more and more, and the longer I've been in coffee, it's been 25 years since I first started learning about coffee and been in the industry, the more the answer is it's complicated. Yeah. Um, mm. and I had a great conversation with Joe. Um, I, was it with Joe or was it with you, Alec? I think we were talking about the, um, potential blog posts that I'm still marinating on. Oh yeah. <laughs> that yeah. I love to write for you guys. Uh-huh. And you know, that I'm like, you know, that would be a great subject is it's complicated. And yeah, with some sure. good examples of sourcing in Sumatra is very different than the coffee trade in Kenya. Yep. And the coffee trade in Brazil is incredibly different than Colombia. Uh-huh. You know, there's, and so the, so I think a lot of people like to go for quick answers and easy answers, but it's, mm-hmm. it's complicated. So I, I think it's great to dig into this complicated, uh, aspect origin to origin, but also really dig in a little bit with some, an eye on, you know, illuminating some of these answers that are out there that are some people are industry, you know, mm-hmm. you see some, some answers being positioned as black and white answers mm-hmm. when the truth is it's, it's not really a black and white topic. It's, it's complicated, but, yeah. but the details are important. So people should really pay attention and kind of dig in and get to know the details. Yeah. And I, you know, I was just trying to think of comparisons to, you know, why people maybe are willing to spend, you know, if you think of it like top shelf, you know, liqueur versus, you know, bottom shelf or, or well, or whatever that is. Um, and why people are willing to spend, you know, a lot more money on, you know, a gray goose or, um, you know, something high caliber, uh, versus something, you know, inexpensive. And I feel like some of it is tied to the, the status symbol, um, as well as potentially some of that universal language that, yeah. you know, you know, you go to any bar and if you want gray goose top shelf, you'll be able to get it as well as you can get there, you know, well level, you know, vodka or something like that. But, um, when you can, it's almost like when you can achieve that status and be able to afford $60, $70 a bottle, um, you know, that's almost like a common language where I feel like, you know, the coffee specialty level, you know, there's cafes that are very small that, you know, don't have a large brand awareness, but they are still charging, you know, top shelf prices, a lot of which because that's what they have to do to to continue to grow. So I wonder, you know, if some of that, uh, is part of the problem that, you know, there isn't, you know, you know, you don't just, uh, you don't, you can really charge those prices at any, at any point, um, without, and be considered more, more it, it's almost like that specialty cafe is like the blanket statement for, um, top shelf, but there's not really any, higher level standard to signify, you know, what's the difference between one micro roaster versus another. Yeah. Well, you know, also I think, you know, it's, it's our job in the specialty industry to make our environments as welcoming as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, and to welcome people and people who might be intimidated, you know, mm-hmm. by a specialty cafe and by the prices and the language. And, and so it's, it's our job to welcome people in, but there's also, I mean, I think one of the most satisfying, you know, moments in my career over the years, and I'm sure you've had this experience too, is when you 
when you turn somebody on to an exceptionally mm-hmm. good cup of coffee mm-hmm. and they drink it and they go, their eyes get big and they go, wow, that is good. I mm-hmm. didn't know. They say, I didn't know coffee could taste like this. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, you see that person later and they say, you know, you ruined me because I can't drink that bad stuff anymore. Ever since mm-hmm. I've had that good coffee, I have to go out and get it. And they said, great, yeah. man, you know, I got another one. And so, you know, a lot of times when I look at specialty, um, other specialty roasters and cafes and, you know, I owned a cafe years ago and, mm-hmm. and one of the things that, you know, I did was we had all these independent shop owners who were worried about making it cause it's hard to make it as an independent small business, as you know. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, we're not each other's competition. I said, mm-hmm. it's bad coffee. That's the competition. Yeah. Right. You know, it's poor quality coffee. We should work together to be more welcoming and bring more people into the fold and say, look, that, that gas station coffee might be free or next or close to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this coffee, it really is better. And come on in, let me give mm-hmm. you a cup. And, you know, I used to sample a lot at my cafe and mm-hmm. I used to try to get people in just to say, don't let me convince you, taste it. The proof's in the yeah. cup. You yeah. know, that's one of my all time favorite sayings that I still mm-hmm. use all the time is the proof is in the cup. Mm-hmm. You know, when people argue about, brewing methods. And, you know, now that I'm in the green game, people like, like to really sort a lot, which is great. Mm -hmm. I love, you know, we're all learning a lot about that, but I always say, look, let's taste it. You know, the proof's in the cup. How does it taste? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And I think that that, you know, uh, we've been paying attention to a lot of that stuff. And, um, and I think that, you know, I've tried to share with our team and that is like all of this science and all that, you know, we're very, um, regimented, uh, type of company, but we're also very freewheeling and artistic. And so, you know, we've always said like, trust your palate from a staff point of view. So, um, that's usually the first thing I ask is, you know, we get a new coffee in and they're, they're asking, well, what, you know, we tried it at this grind size, but I didn't like the, you know, the particle size or whatever like that. And, you know, I always ask them, well, like, what does it taste like? Or, you know, <laughs> does it taste good to you? Uh, or do you like it? You know, or have you, guys you asked anybody else? You are definitely palate driven. I'll tell you, I've, I've told you this before, but I think it's worth repeating. I, I have never had a single origin espresso like I did at your shop mm-hmm. on the Mod Bar. And I mm-hmm. think it was the Limo, right? Uh-huh. Oh my God, that blew me away. I know, and this is, again, this is why I love coffee. I know that coffee really well. I've cupped Mm -hmm. it a lot and I've, I've watched that coffee from fresh crop go through the year and it developed and changed. And when I had that shot at your shop, I was so blown away Mm because you drew flavors out of that coffee using your skill, you know, Mm -hmm. but also using your palate. So you obviously did not get so caught up in brew ratios and yeah, yeah. And all the variables because what you created was a sublime, delicious, mm-hmm. small cup of coffee. You know, mm-hmm. I, it was, it wasn't just a shot of espresso. It was really just a, a wonderful flavor experience. So, yeah. And I it. think that that, I think that's, you know, a big part for everybody listening as far as whether you're in coffee or, or in, in some other industry, it's like, are you creating something that you enjoy? You know, I, we've always said that, you know, if we, we're not going to have anything on our menu that, you know, we don't love or can't get behind, you know, we don't, and you know, our menu is slightly different than other places, but you know, we don't, uh, 
we don't have any blending or we don't really do any flavored coffees or, or anything like that. And that's mainly just because we don't feel like it showcases the coffee at the highest level. And, and other places may do that. And, you know, I hope that's because they enjoy it and not just because they think they have to. Um, because I, I mean, as I've said to really all business owner friends of mine or, or anything like that, you know, they don't have to do anything. They're not, you know, they, they're in charge and, you know, that's most of the reason why they did start their own business is they wanted to do something different. And, uh, you know, I think that from a business owner perspective, we can get stuck in the, you know, well, the customer said they wanted it or, you know, the customer said they liked it or, you know, all of that. And I, and I always go back and ask like, well, do you like it? <laughs> do yes. you like, you know, we, we run into that with some of our wholesale, uh, or potential wholesale partners is like, well, here's a sample of our coffee. Let us know what you think. And, you know, some of them have said, well, you know, I don't really like our coffee, but you know, our customers do, or I don't really, you know, I'm sort of embarrassed by our, by our coffee we have right now, but you know, people keep buying it. And I'm like, I just couldn't wake up every day knowing that I didn't enjoy the product that I was putting out there. Um, it's because it feels a little bit dishonest, you know, not, not that they're lying to their customers at all, but, um, just that, you know, obviously as a business owner, we're guiding, you know, their, uh, pallets. It's always like, uh, almost like when you look up to someone and they do something, you know, when, uh, when the barista says, Oh my gosh, that's my favorite coffee. Have you tried it yet? Nine times out of 10, that customer is going to try it unless they've, you know, had some aversion to that before at another place. Uh, you know, the, the idea of suggestion is, is pretty strong. Um, so if you don't like the coffee or, or a commodity that you have and you like another one, um, I feel like your customer base is going to listen to you. Um, because I know it's a, it's an insanely awkward moment when your customer asks you, well, what do you think about the drip coffee? And then you either are faced with lying to them or, or being honest. And, and that, that can be awkward. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, you know, and I think that that, that passion and that excitement, especially for coffee, um, is what will continue to elevate that price point is, you know, the continued education behind, you know, where the coffee's coming from, why uh, it maybe takes so long, or maybe why, you know, for us, we run into, um, well, what do you mean your coffee's seasonal? Or what do you mean, like, you just had that last week and now you don't have it anymore? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so even that type of conversation and sharing with them that, you know, well, yeah, coffee's grown and, and then it stops growing and they have to plant more and, um, you know, it doesn't come from here. We have to import it in. And, um, so even that education piece, uh, is important. Um, oh, yeah. and I think that that brings it back to a little bit of, you know, really in any industry that you're in as a business owner, especially a small business, if you don't have, you know, millions of marketing dollars, you know, uh, one-on-one education or customer-based education is vital to, uh, to growing your, your business. Absolutely. Yeah, that's for sure. 
And I know that obviously you guys um, are growing as well. Um, have you seen that? Uh, you know, you guys haven't, as far as genuine origin goes, um, sort of the new newer kids on the block from, uh, or at least size-wise, uh, outside of obviously Vol Cafe. But um, how have you guys, you know, ran through that as far as um, informing people or educating? Well, you know, I, I, one of the things that really attracted me to working for Genuine Origin was the Vol Cafe way. Um, you know, I had owned a shop for 10 years and I loved it. It's actually still open, which is fun. And then I went to work for Counterculture for 11 years and they're a great company that I learned a tremendous amount about origin operations and, um, just about coffee and brewing and education in general. Um, but what really attracted me to coming to Genuine Origin was this incredible depth that they have at Origin, hands-on mm -hmm. working with coffee farmers, and they have for generations of coffee farmers. So, you know, it's this idea of access to to the people who produce the coffee, and, and they're my coworkers. I mm -hmm. mean, I've, I've been to Peru and Costa Rica and Tanzania and um, Kenya, and, you know, I go and I wear my branded, you know, Volcafe Way shirt or hat. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I'm got in the field and there are, you know, coffee farmers who are working for Volcafe as uh, field service officers, agronomists, and they're wearing the same hat and they're my mm -hmm. coworkers. And mm -hmm. it's amazing to think, you know, and, and I tell people I work in agriculture and it's yeah. funny. I even tell uh, baristas that, and they look at me and, oh, do you live on a farm? I'm like, no, I, I work in coffee. I work yeah. in agriculture, mm -hmm. you know? And so having this being even closer to origin and to the plants and the farmers to me was very attractive. And so we are still working hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is something that we're talking about all the time with my coworkers and in the office is being as authentic as we can to the producers and really telling the story. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we've done things like list in our community lots, listing all the producers who contribute mm -hmm. to the coffee. Um, and you know, we're still working on providing roasters like you with photographs and information about the coffees mm -hmm. that you can then share with your customers. And it's interesting. I have a lot of customers say, is it okay if I use these pictures? And I say, oh, please, <laughs> these are for you. These are for mm -hmm. you. Um, you know, I'm, I, these aren't just for me to sell the coffee to you. This is for you to carry the image of the producer to the end mm -hmm. user. Um, and it, like you said, I think that's the important part of people feeling connected to, to their coffee. And I think we've seen such a great farm to fork movement over the last decade, a lot of great books, a lot of people starting gardens because they want to feel closer to their food. I'm an mm -hmm. avid gardener because mm -hmm. I love soil. Um, and so, you know, I think that the, the, this will only benefit the coffee industry as we try to talk to people about, again, paying fair prices and paying feeling comfortable with a $20, 12 ounce bag of roasted coffee. Yeah. Um, we got to get there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think it's just a matter of that education idea, whatever, whatever industry you may be in. Um, if it's not, you know, really any small business, it's, you know, people are choosing to, uh, partner with you or partner with, um, you know, one of the bigger brands. I think that small business owners maybe forget that, that, you know, it is a choice, uh, to go one way or the other. And, you know, sometimes it's 
more beneficial to go one way or, or not. Um, but, and, uh, I think the excuse sometimes with business owners is, well, I'm not, you know, I don't have enough money to market or I don't have, you know, I'm not on the right road or, you know, there's for coffee, there's five Starbucks on somebody's way to work versus mine. And, um, you know, for us, we've just seen that people choose if, if they value the, you know, for us a retail space or, uh, the coffee bags we sell, if people value your product enough or they value the environment that you create or something like that, they'll go well out of their way, you know, for that. We have some regulars at our cafe that, that drive 15, 20 minutes every, you know, couple days, uh, to come into our space. Um, and, uh, you know, they choose, obviously they're driving by multiple, uh, uh, other spaces in the interim, but, you know, they treat it almost like their commute where they're, you know, coming into our spaces, their workspace. But the only reason that they did that is because they feel heavily well-informed about what they're, uh, you know, what they're drinking as well as, uh, they enjoy the product and the environment that they, you know, are in. And, you know, if you aren't giving your potential customers the opportunity from, from what you said at the beginning, giving them the opportunity to try it and, uh, and say, you know, well, you know, if you feel confident enough in your product, then stack it up against their palate and say, Hey, you know, this is really great. Um, and let them decide, um, then they will start to make it a habit. Uh, especially if you do it in a way that isn't, uh, pretentious or, you know, in their face or feeling like they have to understand this whole foreign language. Um, it, uh, you know, we in the coffee industry get a, a really bad rap of just like the in crowd or something. And I mean, that's one of the biggest irritations that I have uh, is, pe- is people come into our cafe and they say they didn't feel welcome at another cafe. Um, that's just really hard for me to swallow. Um, and uh, obviously, I hope that you know, my interaction or, or our staff's interaction with them, uh, changes their mind, uh, at least into our space and hopefully the, the specialty space. But, um, I, you know, we didn't, at least my intention with being in this industry wasn't to create another country club environment, you know, Mm -hmm. but, um, I think specialty does get that rap a little bit that you've got to be the cool kids to, to be a part of it. But, you know, that's not how we get this uh, C price up, you know, and get it to be affordable and, and, uh, or, uh, long-term sustainable for, for those spots. Um, you know, uh, we have to continue to educate and grow our customer base so that, you know, that even, you know, the next generation of coffee consumers, you know, our 15, 16 year olds right now, um, are excited to come into cafes and it's not just, something that their mom and dad did or, or, or something like that. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm encouraged by, by the youth that I see Mm -hmm. in coffee houses and cafe. Um, that's, that's a good sign. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I, 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 and, and also, you know, people of all ages, I mean, that was, Mm -hmm. I think you and I have similar philosophies in terms of opening our cafes. You know, my coffee house was called the third place coffee house. And, we really worked hard to make everyone welcome, um, and did really try to push back on, a, 
you know, only a certain type of person is welcome in this cafe. And man, we, the majority of our time training our staff, uh, was training our staff on how to work with people when they walk uh-huh. up. They're maybe intimidated by the menu uh-huh. or, or they order a macchiato and you know that they might really be thinking about a Starbucks macchiato and yeah. that's going to be different than traditional. And you don't want to make them feel dumb for ordering that, but you want to walk them through, well, what do you mm-hmm. want? You know, we can make you what you mm-hmm. want. We have some really yep. delicious house-made ingredients here, so we can make mm-hmm. you a delicious sweet beverage if that's what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, the, process, the process of making the coffee, and I, I used to get in trouble by saying this, but I'd say, you know, the process of making the coffee is not that hard to learn. Um, it's what we do. It's what we do every day. It's what we love to do. Uh, the process of sort of learning the customer service aspect of it is, can be a lot harder to yeah. be honest. And so, but that's a really, really important part that I think you're right. I think we still have to keep working on that on bringing a wider range of people into cafes and welcoming them. Yeah. And I think it's just continually you, you know, um, making it clear to our, you know, uh, staff and, and things like that, that if they do welcome more people into the fold, they can make a difference when it comes to the business as to whether it's closed or not. And I think that, you know, ownership for us has been really big where, you know, one, our staff just wants to be genuinely welcoming because they care about people and, you know, they don't, it's just not a part of their DNA, but also they want to see the coffee industry and in, you know, our area specifically uh, continue to thrive and grow. And, you know, if they, you know, don't, bring another customer, that next customer into the fold, that's one less person that, you know, is a part of the coffee culture. Um, and, you know, that's one less dent into, you know, what could end up being not a coffee culture. Um, so I think some of that is really important for, for people to think about too, is how is, how is your staff having a positive or a negative impact on the culture of whatever industry you're in? You know, are they improving it or, or are they, you know, setting it back uh, by the way they interact with customers? Because um, they're doing one of the one or the other um, and figuring out what that is, is important. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Rich, thanks for for hanging out a little bit. Um, we're coming up uh, on uh, a little bit around 40 minutes or so, but uh, it's been really great to. I think inform our customer base and, and our listening, uh, our guys listening about uh, where coffee's at and, and why it's important to uh, continue to value what's going on uh, and, you know, show, like we've said before, that there's an impact when it comes to the dollars spent. And uh, if you want to have an impact, then, um, you know, be informed and, and understand where your money's going. Um yeah. And so obviously you guys, um, uh, have a lot of great information, um, about the coffees you source. So, um, if you want to learn more about, uh, even where some of our coffee comes from at any coffee roasters, um, check out genuineorigin.com. They have a great blog there where they highlight some of their, uh, farmers as well. Um, and, uh, obviously, uh, check out indiecoffeeroasters.com where we, uh, talk about, um, on our blog, the importance of direct trade and, um, and uh, farmer first uh, coffee roasting as well. Um, and if you're interested in obviously trying any uh, genuine origin coffees, uh, all six of our coffees uh, come from there. So check out 
uh, store.indiecoffeeroasters.com. Uh, you can uh, grab a bag and uh, all the tasting notes are there as well. So, um, yeah, thanks so much for being here, Rich. Um, I really Thank appreciate you. the time and it's me. always great to chat. Um, Likewise, I look forward to coming and drinking espresso again soon. <laughs> yeah, we will have the, it looks like we have the limo again over the summer. So, oh, uh, I'm so back excited. around. Yeah. So, well, yeah, thanks again, Rich. And, um, and excited to continue to work with you guys and, um, we will make sure, um, to uh, link out to all of your stuff as well. Um, thanks again. And, uh, I appreciate your time. All right. We'll take care. All right. Um, and remember guys, if you have any questions, uh, you can email us at hello at indiecoffeeroasters.com. Don't forget to subscribe. Uh, to learn more about uh, about our uh, platform here on the Coffee Unleashed podcast and follow us on all social media platforms uh, to stay up to date on everything Indie Coffee Roasters. Thanks for listening, guys, and always enjoy your coffee unleashed.